Support for this podcast comes from Outdoor Supply Hardware, inviting listeners to OSHA's big anniversary sale celebration, May 20th through the 26th, featuring daily deals, $15,000 in giveaways, 20% off store-wide on Saturday and Sunday, and a lot more. Learn more at OSH.com. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Katie Orr. California's sunny skies make it an ideal place for solar energy. In fact, more than one million people have installed rooftop solar systems on their homes. Those homeowners are able to sell excess energy back to the grid and get credit towards their bill. But critics say the program benefits wealthier Californians while leaving low-income communities with higher electricity bills. Others fear changes to the successful program could make it harder for California to meet its clean energy goals. We'll take a deep dive into solar, and we'll talk about how the socialization of babies and toddlers might have been affected by the pandemic. That's next on Forum, right after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Katie Orr, in for Mina Kim. California's abundant sunshine makes it an ideal place for solar energy. And the industry has been booming. More than one million homes have installed solar systems. Much of the growth has been driven by California's Net Energy Metering Subsidy Program, which credits solar panel-owning customers when their systems generate excess electricity. But some say this program is placing an unfair financial burden on customers without solar panels, shifting the ongoing cost for overall maintenance of the state's electric grid to them. Others worry a rule change would decrease incentives to go solar and hurt the state's clean energy efforts. Joining me now to discuss what potential changes could mean for solar energy in the state are Mark Chediak, energy reporter for Bloomberg, and Colby Burmell, energy reporter for Politico, California. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being here. Um, Mark, set it up for us. How does California's current solar rebate program work? Hi, Katie. Thanks for having me on the show. So um, California's solar rebate program has been wildly successful, and it uh, originated back in the 1990s when the state uh, decided that it really wanted to incentivize uh, having folks put uh, solar panels on their houses and generate their own clean energy. And essentially how it works is um, a solar rooftop owner, they get... uh, full credit, retail credit for their any excess solar energy that they export on the grid. So um, like during the day when their solar energy system is producing power, they of course aren't using the electricity from the grid and then any excess energy that they're producing goes back onto the grid and you get a credit on your bill for that. And uh, that system works in a way that if you, um, under certain circumstances, you can actually uh, zero zero out your bill uh, for uh, a month or several months, and uh, and that's provided a huge incentive, like you said, for people to go solar. And so, as this program has been in place, who has largely benefited from it? Well, that's a good question, and it depends on who you ask. Um, 
uh, I think everybody feels like the state has benefited at some level. Like you said, we have more than a million rooftops um, and that's a lot more clean energy on our grid. Um, there has been a whole industry created basically uh, as a result of this incentive. Uh, you have several multi-billion dollar uh, companies like Sunrun and SunPower that, uh, who install rooftop solar, that's their main business. Um, and it's basically created this whole rooftop solar industry uh, that, uh, that is very strong here and has, uh, has been successful throughout the U.S. now. Um, the utilities, uh, while the utilities agree that uh, having more customers use clean energy is a good thing, uh, they have been for years um, talking about uh, what they call a cost shift, where this incentive uh, where solar customers are paid for their excess solar energy forces them, they say, to raise rates for non-solar customers. And so they have argued and are arguing again that this, um, this type of compensation structure uh, it hurts non-solar customers. Right. And uh, so, Colby, that's because the, the, the crux of this issue for a lot of people, though, is that that the people who can afford to have solar panels installed on their homes are essentially wealthier people in in California, leaving the lower income and middle income customers to make up for whatever those other customers are not putting in to the system, the maintenance the maintenance fees that those wealthier customers are not putting into the system, right? Yeah, right, exactly. And Katie, like just on a personal note, I just want to wish you a belated happy Mother's Day. You, um, like you're <laughs> the mother you. of two beautiful girls, and you're <laughs> also you. the um, the wonderful president of the California Cap, um, Correspondents Association. And we also share an office in Sacramento, but we haven't seen each other really since the pandemic started. Yeah, about so, a year. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yep. And I look forward to seeing you at some point. Uh, Absolutely. But before we get um, get talking about solar. Um, thank you so much oh, for having me you. on. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so yeah. I mean, the, um, this is such a complicated issue, of course, because there are so many factors that actually affect um, customers' uh, electric bills. And something that's also, you know, being talked about for sure right now is the issue of wildfire costs in terms of grid maintenance. And um, like your listeners might know, that utilities are actually um, um, guaranteed um, a return for their investors in terms of like the money that, that they plow into the grid. So there's been a, uh, been a CPUC report that said that one of the main contributing factors to bills rising, not just for non-solar owners, um, but for all Californians, is the cost of you know, maintaining the grid like and trying to harden it you know, against wildfires. And there are so many moving components to electric bills, and it really is such a complicated um, uh, facet like of the industry and like there literally exists one agency like the public utilities commission who um, their main responsibility it's called rate making which is um, every three years you have to look at a, a, a utilities cost um, you have to look at how certain customer classes are 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 going to be charged and there's all different line items and it all basically adds up to this giant mess that both the utilities and the solar side are are basically trying to leverage to their uh, respective advantage right now um, uh, uh, in this very contentious battle. Right. Mark, talk a little bit about that, because in going over this issue, one of the things I thought was 
most interesting and, as you both have mentioned, complicated is this. It doesn't seem to break down on like traditional lines that we see a lot of issues break down. For instance, we're seeing the utilities propose some reforms. And first of all, Mark, talk a little bit about what what the utilities would like to change to 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 make this program what they're calling to reform this program. Sure. So the utilities have proposed uh, a number of things, uh, a number of changes to the program. Um, most significantly would be a sharp reduction in the credit, bill credit that uh, solar customers get uh, for exporting energy onto the grid. Um, they want to uh, reduce that to what they say is basically the avoided cost of the utility itself producing uh, energy or power. Um, so that's that's the main one. They also want to um, levy what they are calling grid charges or connection charges to uh, rooftop solar customers, um, and that basically would, uh, in their uh, in their opinion, would um, force uh, solar customers to pay for what they say is their fair share of of the cost of maintaining the grid that the solar customers are using, basically as backup power at, at night. Um, so, and the solar industry has pushed back uh, very hard against this proposal. They have basically essentially said that it would crush their industry, that um, that they still, um, while there are many, lar- uh, several large companies that have uh, financially benefited from the subsidy, uh, some of them still are struggling to make money. Uh, some of them post uh, multiple millions of dollars of losses e- um, each year. Um, and uh, they say that the subsidy is needed um, for some time uh, t- to allow the industry to continue to grow and develop and, and get its, you know, uh, get its sea legs, if you will. Um, the interesting enough, like you pointed out, there does seem to be a larger coalition this time around who agree that there does need to be some sort of reform to these rates. So you're seeing consumer consumer advocates uh, at the Public Utilities Commission and outside the Public Utilities Commission calling for these reforms. You've seen an environmental group called NRDC has also proposed uh, reforms, um, even uh, AARP, which is uh, represents uh, retirees have, have raised issues about the uh, inequities in this program. And the solar industry itself actually does recognize that there, there should be some sort of reform, but what they're proposing is kind of a gradual step down of uh, compensation, uh, one that would not be as sharp as what the utilities want. Right, because Colby, this seems to put especially low-income communities kind of in a complicated situation because as you wrote in your recent article, on one hand, there are a lot of jobs provided by, you know, installing solar, but and on the other hand, um a lot of as we've talked about, a lot of the uh cost to fix the grid is the electric grid is now being pushed on to these very same communities. So, how do people in those communities and advocates for for lower income Californians reconcile those those kind of contrasting views? Yeah, um, so I would say that um, that most of the parties in this whole proceeding they basically recognize that low income customers who are on subsidized rates, basically, to help them pay their electric bills. Like, uh, basically, everyone recognizes that those customers need to be treated separately than those in like the middle, like in upper classes. 
And for instance, there is this nonprofit who I talked with that's called the People Power Solar uh, Cooperative, and they've worked with the Sierra Club, Boat Solar, and this group that's called uh, Grid Alternatives, basically to uh, preserve uh, existing incentives for those low income residents. But but then the Sierra Club, who's been working with this um, with this cooperative, they basically want to change rates for everyone else. So so folks recognize that that we need to give kind of lower income customers special treatment. And I just wanted to make a quick point too about this grid access charge that the utilities want to impose. And that's something that obviously like the solar installers and uh, plus many um, environmental groups that are more on the uh, progressive side, say like as a non-starter for them. Um, something interesting um, about the messaging is that like the utilities um, are calling it a grid benefit charge, which is, trying to kind of frame it in a sense of, you know, everyone needs to pay their fair share. This is something that's, you know, um, uh, if you're benefiting from the grid, you need to pay your fair share kind of a thing. And these grid access charges, which are monthly charges that in California, what's proposed could be as high as like $55 a month if you own a solar system. Um, these charges have been approved like in other states that have more conservative, uh, um, uh, like public utility commissions, more conservative state legislatures, um, at the behest of utilities, basically, because because uh, rooftop solar hey, it does Toby, eat into the will, revenue. Let's yeah, Len. I definitely want to talk more about that. Right. We're coming up on a break, so um, tell us what you think. Do we need to reform California's solar rules? Give us a call eight six six seven three three six seven eight six eight six six seven three three six seven eight six, or reach us on Twitter or Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. Welcome back to Forum. We're talking about the open debate over California's solar rules and the equity concerns the rules have raised. With me today is Mark Chediak, an energy reporter for Bloomberg News, and Colby Burmell, an energy reporter for Politico California. I want to get to some comments real quick. Craig writes, I think any public money used to help fight climate change should include a fund to provide grants to help offset the cost of installing solar panels on roofs of middle and lower income properties in sunny locations across the country, our goal should be to have solar panels on every rooftop. And, you know, that actually gets to, Colby, something you were beginning to reference before is the whole goal that California has is to move toward more green energy. Uh, And so it would seem that reducing incentives for solar panels kind of goes against that goal. Is that right? Or how do how do supporters of green energy who also uh, support changes to the solar incentive program reconcile those two things? Yeah, I mean, like, it really is this back and forth debate that's being had. And it's um, kind of a proxy fight over kind of the state of California energy overall, I would say, um, with regards to the fact that 
you know, obviously like we have our very ambitious climate goals that we're trying to achieve by 2030, like in 2045. But at the same time, the technology um, isn't totally there yet. And we don't have the total, you know, penetration like an installation that we want. And we, of course, saw this last summer with the rolling blackouts that we had the first of their kind in 19 years, of course. And those basically occurred because when the sun goes down at night, of course, um, solar power goes down, which means that more and more, you know, homes and businesses need electricity and often um, right now, at least like the only way that those can be powered is with fossil fuels, natural gas power plants. So it really is this debate for sure over kind of how to balance these two sides and kind of how quickly of a transition uh, we need to have towards our climate goals. We have another comment from Hillary who writes, solar panels are a huge investment for homeowners. They're not free. They often don't pay for themselves for years after installation. For paying tens of thousands of dollars for solar panels, solar customers deserve fair market credit for the energy they produce and don't use. Proposed changes are just another way for the utility companies who are trying to squeeze more money out of customers unfairly. Um Right. So, Mark, talk a little bit about this, because, of course, there is a bit of a contentious relationship at times between utility companies and the customers they serve. So I think it does strike some people um, as a bit disingenuous when the companies are just saying, no, 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 we need to make this, you know, this is all about making this program more equitable and not about our our profit margins at all. Yeah, that that is a, a interesting point there. And what I would say uh, to that is, so what the utilities have, and like these are arguments they have been making, you know, since the inception of this program, really, is that uh, there is this cost shift. But what the um, solar industry and and consumers sort of come back with is that um, first of all, um, the utilities don't necessarily or aren't forced to to pass these costs on along to other consumers, they could figure out ways to run their business more efficiently or find other ways to absorb those costs. Now, what the utility industry comes back with is that essentially they have a fixed amount that they need to spend on their grid. And California has uh, a certain rate system where uh, essentially they set it up to encourage uh, energy efficiency. So utilities don't make money for more they don't make money if they sell more power. Um, so they essentially have fixed costs that they have to distribute over uh, all of their customers on the system. And if some customers are paying less and they say others should have to pay more. Now, the other thing that uh, enters into it is basically the solar industry says that essentially the utilities don't like their business because it's competition, that they are uh, an alternative power provider on their system. And over the long term, if more and more people adopted solar and solar plus batteries, there would be less need or use for the larger grid. And that would reduce the the need for investments for the utilities. And those utilities would therefore make less money off because they would have a smaller uh, pool of investments that they could earn off of. So that's, I mean, that's kind of the back and forth that's been going on here. Uh, and Colby did mention, so this fight has been happened across the country and, and in several states, uh, especially more conservative ones, uh, the utilities have been successful in lowering the compensation rate for solar users or imposing these connection charges. 
And uh, the solar industry says that they have seen a slowdown in their businesses in those states. Let's go to um, a caller now, Lee in uh, Mountain View. Go ahead. Yes, hi. Um, uh, I just wanted to briefly mention that, you know, I do have a solar system, a rooftop solar uh, that came with the house. I have an average house family of four. Even after net metering and we have community aggregation, my, I still pay 2600 a year in electricity alone. I'm not even including the gas portion of the bill. So this notion that we're getting free electricity and we're not paying our fair share, I have to strongly disagree with. Would the answer be to do community municipal service like they do in Palo Alto or Santa Clara, where I understand the rates are a lot lower because it's not an investor-owned utility running the, running the system? Uh, Mark, can you speak to that? Is that something that has proven to be more successful? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, and one thing that has happened is um, Sacramento, which is a municipal owned, has a municipal owned utility, they have actually uh, been at the forefront of, of reforming these solar uh, rooftop rates and they have reduced them and added charges for people to connect on their grid. So just because of it's a, just because it's a, a municipal utility doesn't mean that the utility itself isn't going to look at, at you know, changing the way uh, certain solar customers are compensated. That being said, I do think that, you know, each individual case is unique on app, you know, and so when they're talking about this policy, they're, they're typically talking about averages. And what the utilities say is that on average, a, a solar, uh, someone who installs a solar system can pay back their system in between, you know, around five years under the current rates. Um, and that is because the cost of solar has come down. However, you know, if, if you're a large electricity user, have certain certain other you know variable factors and and your in your rates, then then obviously you know your bill could be higher. But um, but I think municipal utilities and local utilities have also been looking at reforming this program. Mark, is there like um, a number of panels you need to put on your house to make it worth doing? I mean, I imagine you know maybe one panel isn't enough, or maybe it is. I, how, how many do you need to like typically have an efficient system? Well, I mean, I think it varies depending on the home and, you know, the solar companies, the solar installers will help a user figure that out. Um, but typically, you know, several panels will supply enough power for the customer and help them get, uh, you know, a payback. If, of course, if you have a really large system, you're going to be producing a lot of excess energy if you don't use a lot. And then, and then that could, you know, you could get additional bill credits with that. But I think it very much, it, it varies from home to home. Let's go to um, Karen in Ventura. Go ahead. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, Hello. go ahead. Hi. Oh, hi. I just have a couple of, couple of questions. Um, you know, I see cable companies going around and they install units in, on top of roofs of apartment buildings. I'm a renter. Um, I wonder why we couldn't ha- in have individual units for solar units. I know that when the power goes out, I would like to have just enough power to run my refrigerator and a couple of lights. So it shouldn't take that much. So um, individual units. Uh, the second point is, I, I'm not sure, but maybe he can answer this. When an investor invests in uh, utilities, are the profits from that company tax-exempt? And then the third thing is, you know, I just heard that some a utility back east was hacked. Um, I think a national 
this is national security. Individuals should be able to have their own source of power, especially the whole half of the country that has enough sun. So those are my three comments. Thanks so much, Karen. We appreciate it. Uh, Colby, you know, taking the first one, what about that? Could can we have like individual solar units for people, you know, like Karen, who are who are renters? Yeah. And um, like your caller brings up an amazing point, which is that this has been something that's been really tough for California policymakers, that that it's been hard to to basically give not just rooftop solar, but also EV chargers, for instance, um, to renters. And, you know, obviously, um, whether to install rooftop solar or or EV chargers, that's the decision of with the landlord, for instance. And, you know, oftentimes there aren't certain, you know, incentives in place to make that happen. So that is something that policymakers are actively thinking about. And um, your caller also raises um, some really good points about, you know, the grid instability, like national security, as we saw with this pipeline, um, um, you know, hack last weekend. And basically the point there is that pro-solar advocates are, are basically arguing that that the grid, which has been centralized for over 100 years by these monopoly utilities that own basically all the assets, essentially, and that, that control the entire uh, uh, electricity process, they basically want the grid to become like decentralized, like locally cited, to give customers more control over their energy uh, experience. But that obviously takes a lot of investment. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of money. And um, plus, it also takes a lot of upheaval of the status quo, which the investor-owned utilities are very much interested in uh, trying to preserve like as much as they can, of course. Well, and Colby, it seems like, you know, we're we're still trying to figure out how solar should best be used, even though it's been around for decades. We're still trying to figure out how we should best pay for it, how the cost should be divvied up. But this is coming at a time when the state is like charging full steam ahead because going forward, most single family homes now are going to be new single family homes uh, are going to be required to have solar panels, right? Right, correct, exactly, and um, that's because a a few years ago, the California Energy Commission, which sets the statewide building code in terms of energy efficiency, they uh, they approved this first, like in the nation, uh, uh, requirement for uh, like for new homes to have um, rooftop solar panels. And actually, last week, like the same agency, they just uh, proposed the same requirement for for lots of like commercial buildings. Um, for schools, for stores, for restaurants, like for new buildings, like um, for those to be clear. And, but we're already seeing that, that some utilities actually don't want to comply super like directly with that requirement. For instance, uh, uh, Mark, he brought up Sacramento's utility, which is SMUD, Sacramento like Municipal Utility District. They got approved last year, a workaround basically to that requirement where they can install what they're calling community solar which is really just a, you know, basically like a smaller version like of a big solar farm that you would see uh, in like the desert, for instance. So we still need to see whether this rooftop solar mandate is actually going to play out, you know, how it's going to play out, because we're already seeing one of the state's biggest utilities basically find a, a, a relative workaround for it. 
Well, and that leads to an interesting comment from Stephen, who writes, at peak solar, at peak sun, excuse me, solar is already maxed out in California, i.e. we're essentially throwing away solar-generated electricity at peak sun. Why are we subsidizing adding more solar at this point, noting that there is no grid-level battery storage solution to this problem in the foreseeable future. So, Mark, I guess that gets to the question. We're talking about capturing all this solar energy. Do we actually have the capacity to save it and use it? That's a great question. And the state is really grappling with that right now. And so one of the things that the, that uh, uh, state policymakers and regulators are looking at and doing right now is um, encouraging the installation of grid-scale batteries that can store this excess solar energy um, that can be used later in the day when this, uh, or in the evening when solar is waning. So, uh, for instance, uh, the state's uh, big grid operator is, uh, expects about 2,000 gigawatts of, of battery storage to be installed on the grid for, uh, for summertime. And the idea is that those batteries can soak up this excess solar and the, the, the um, listener is correct that the state is av- actually at times having to turn off uh, solar solar um, production during the day because there is so much of it or exporting or the state does export it as well. Uh, one of the things on the rooftop solar side um, that everybody is looking at now is with the advent of home batteries of trying to design rates that would encourage solar users, home solar users to store some of their solar production uh, during the day instead of like putting that on the grid when we already have a lot of like green electrons to actually store that in a home battery and then the uh, homeowner would be compensated for using that um, tapping into that uh, energy in the battery later in the day when when uh, the state's grid is a bit more taxed and they want customers to reduce power. We want to go to, I want to go to a comment from Liz. Uh, She says, I'm considering installing battery storage for my solar system to deal uh, with PSPS events. Uh, I believe those are public safety um, blackout events, but the cost is almost as high as the original system. How can a customer evaluate pros and cons for storage and utility grid charges to make a good decision? Colby, can you speak to that? Yeah, so so I would say that they can go to their utility, they can go to the solar installer. And I would just say to kind of tie in this listener's question with some of Mark's comments just now, is that, you know, obviously California's grid is, you know, it needs to be stored up essentially in terms of public safety power shutoffs and just in terms of rolling blackouts that we had last summer. So basically California like is trying to create as much like redundancy you know, as it can to try to um, almost have too much electricity, but that's a whole other debate about whether that's a good or a bad thing, but that definitely is the goal. And obviously having as much of basically, uh, basically every energy source on the grid as possible um, is what policymakers are, are trying to go for. And, and like the whole point, like of having a, a solar battery is that it can, not just help you, but it can also help your neighbors as well. And that is something that we saw actually last summer with those rolling blackouts with Sunrun, which is the San Francisco headquartered um, solar battery installer that that 5,000 of their customers, I believe, have both solar panels and uh, batteries. And those customers were actually called upon by the state to help 
to help send their extra uh, uh, electricity to others. So, it, uh, so we're definitely going to be seeing more communication between the state and these uh, private uh, uh, private companies in terms of leveraging um, uh, these resources as they're coming online. I want to get in one more caller real quick. Stu in Santa Rosa, go ahead. Hello. Um, Hi. I am I am a, a victim of the Tubbs fire. And I lost my house uh, with which had a, a three and a half kilowatt solar system on it, and uh, we rebuilt. And I now have a 5.8 kilowatt system. And at this very moment, I'm charging my electric car and sending the excess on the grid. Uh, we have been negative uh, usage of energy since February. So even in the winter, we're generating more than we have. We're waiting for our Tesla batteries. We're on the line, uh, on the queue for it. Now, I have a friend in, uh, oh, and we are, uh, our permitting is through the county, and the county has the resiliency center, which is, uh, uh, accelerates uh, permitting. So we didn't have too much trouble getting our permits for the solar. I have a friend who put solar in their house in Santa Rosa uh, in the fall, and it's now May, and they still haven't had the city come out to inspect it. So they have a. Stu, thank you so much for your call. This is absolutely a complex issue. We'll keep discussing it. We've been talking about the open debate over California's solar rules and the equity concerns that it has raised with Mark Chediak, energy reporter for Bloomberg News. Also, Colby Burmel, energy reporter for Politico, California. Thank you both so much for speaking with us. We'll be right back after a break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles? The Snap Judgment Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 